1: Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 16th of September 2010. Now I always ask the newcomers at the beginning of the show to look into the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll find hundreds of audio talks for download for free that I've put up there over the years. Remember all those sites you see Uh, Listed there that the alternate sites I have, these are the official sites. They all carry the same audios. They all carry uh, translations of a lot of the talks I've given in English. And if you go into alanwattsentient EU, you can get transcripts for prints up in other languages too. And remember when you're at it uh, that uh, I'm not uh, the perfect altruist. I don't live in fresh air. Uh, I need your support to keep me going, so go in to the books for sale and the CDs and the DVDs and please support me because that's the only reason I'm out here is to give out this information at this time as we go through the biggest changes in history. It's interesting now, really, that some um, youngsters don't even know they're going through them. They're simply adapting so quickly as all youngsters do, and if their parents make no big deal about things, then, like any mammal, they think it's all just hunky-dory. They have no idea the past. Uh, whatever past they are given is generally a fake one by the updated history and they themselves are updated into the new society as the perfect citizens for the next generation, uh, for obedience uh, purposes and to serve their masters properly, be politically correct and all the rest of it. That's how, that's really what education is about. We, we, it was taken over an awful long time ago, especially when John Dewey and uh, various other ones were sent across from the Frankfurt School to bring in the new teaching systems to the Western world. The big plan for the for the Great Society, as they now call it, uh, the grand design is another term they also used, but the Great Plan was already in work uh, way back then. It was in play, and they were working. They don't talk about things, big boys, about global domination, uh, planned societies, depopulation. They actually do it. And you can take that to any bank you want Because that is the fact You know, they they actually do it Most folk can't believe they'd actually do it Because they wouldn't do it themselves personally And that's how they get away with it We're taught to be rather naive and nice In fact, be nice Be neighborly, be decent, etc Here are the rules And you'll all cooperate together But those at the top are not domesticated They're not tamed But they do talk about taming us uh, they themselves must remain wild and free for survival purposes since they are guiding the future of the world in their own books such as Charles Galton Darwin. Uh, so they do it. So purchase my books, purchase the DVDs, the discs, and remember from the US to Canada you can use a personal check. You can also use an international postal money order. You can use cash, PayPal for donation or to purchase. You want to purchase? Just send a separate email after the PayPal donation with your name, address, and the order, and I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world. You've also got uh, the addition of Western Union, which is kind of steep, uh, but you have MoneyGram a bit cheaper, cash, PayPal for donations, or to purchase. It's up to you. Some people still send cash yet, and so far the banks still accept it. I think we're in the last couple of years where they'll accept foreign currencies in cash, but make use of it while you can. We're all going cashless down the roads, and it won't be too far away for the complete surveillance society. You know, total information network, which was set up under the Homeland Security in the U.S. and every other security system across the world, means total. Total means everything that you do must be known about by the authorities. Everything you do. No matter how personal or whatever they want you to know. After all, your masters must look after their cattle. You're the herd. they got to make sure you're healthy in the way that they designed you. Back with more after these messages. Hi, folks. I'm back, and we're cutting through the matrix. You know, it's interesting to study history and try and get the old books if you can, especially books written before World War One uh, about his, the histories of the of the day, and also maybe at least before World War Two. After World War Two, uh, the big uh, boys took over completely. They already had a good portion of the publishing industry, but they completely took it over. And even George Orwell commented on that because. When he, when he had been the darling of the socialist movement um, and then found out what uh, communism was really like when he worked alongside communists in the, the battle in Spain, the Civil War, and he came back and told the socialists what, what was really happening. He said, it's nothing like what you think. They turned their back on him. the audiences in Britain and elsewhere. They turned their back on them. They didn't want to hear the bad news. They wanted to think these comrades were just the same as themselves. And... Uh, He had to literally um, pay and seek out new publishers because even though he had contracts to publish so many books uh, still to come with two major publishers, they turned them down too, which told him that the major publishers, the major ones, were all in league with each other to bring in this very society that he thought they were fighting. It's a very, very interesting. So, yeah, after World War II, everything really changed. And you have authorized historians. There's always been authorized historians from for kings and that kind of stuff. You had to give them a good, a good write-up or it was off with your head. And, of course, the, the authorized ones today uh, really are, are simply social climbers or they belong to the right organizations like the CFR and the Royal Institute of International Affairs. That's what Winston Churchill himself brought up in Parliament when he found out that the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which is the British version of the CFR, to bring in world government, a specific type of socialized system. Uh, he, he was surprised to note that to find he was out the loop in so many things when he found this secret organization had been writing for school children and university all the history books for the last 50 years in his day. It's just what a power they have, and of course they all go to All Souls College. All the high members after their their stint to Oxford. So uh, this is the real world you're living in. All all working towards the grand design, the great work, uh, the new society. All the same thing, and you'll find that all the major historians for Britain and this whole empire that they've had at the time uh, were members of the all the higher group, the All Souls College. All authorized to spin history, and it's no different in the U.S. too. They have their special ones there too, in Yale and Harvard, and uh, they certainly make use of them to give us the fake histories. Every country kind of does it, but uh, it's worse than ever today because power tends to consolidate itself. It it eliminates competition. The whole thing about monopoly is that you go in uh, where there's a market, where there's variety and your idea is not just to sell all that you have, it's to eliminate your competition. And it's the same for all kinds of power, especially if you have a world design, a grand design for the planet, then you have to eliminate everything else. And how you do that is by taking them over and have them work for you, still thinking they're going along in their own little direction. You start funding them through the philanthropies, the big foundations, and that's been going on for a 100 years now. Now, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, as I say, they picked up a banner that had been left, actually. It wasn't really left. They had worked on it quietly from the days of John Dee in the court of Queen Elizabeth I, when John Dee came up with the idea of a brightish, he called it brightish, empire that would be based on a form of trade, free trade, you see. And Francis Bacon, of course, was in on it too, but Dee was the main proponent for it. He brought it forward. And they all belonged to the same lodge at that time, an early lodge. But anyway, the um, and so were all the pirates in uh, with them too, uh, Francis Drake, Raleigh, etc., etc. They were robbing the Spanish to fill up the coffers of the of the Queen at that time to make British, Britain a very powerful empire. But anyway, uh, free trade was the idea, and not only free trade. You see, trade for all countries um, eliminated with its taxes and imports and exports. It eliminated the need for personal income tax. Uh, That was the idea behind it. All the duties, same with the U.S., uh, that had to be paid for uh, or to run governments, and all government institutions came from uh, sales taxes or or import duties. Uh, That was how it was run. And, of course, as you implemented gradually this free trade system where you join this, this empire, this growing world empire, uh, then you dropped your tariffs for importing and, uh, and then they called something a balance of trade. As we well know, they're always prattling about balancing of trade. And of course, there's very little trade goes out of the US today except the military and the hardware. Uh, and, but it all comes in from China. So it's the the balance is, means that the US is way up on that uh, seesaw and China's way down yonder with all its massive, massive exports. So, The idea of free trade was to bring in a uniform world society where not only would they adopt this trading system, but you see, since, if if you go into economics, it'll tell you that every country's laws, all of its laws, right down to murder, whatever, are are based on economics. And when you kill someone, they value and judge um, the income, potential income of your victim for taxation and produce purposes. And therefore, you can 't simply go into a trade agreement as it did with with the con game with Europe when they started it off under it 's just a trade thing no everything depends on trade and economics your all your laws would have to off, off, obviously have to change to suit it, and that 's exactly what happens with it. They bind you together through treaties, and then the treaties uh, promote the laws, the laws become the law of the land and you've been taken over. The U.S. was to come into its own free trade agreement, which it has, of course, for the Americas. And back, I think, in 1910, a huge building was built in the U.S. for the trade of the Americas and for the the amalgamation of the Americas. I have it somewhere. I might find the link and put it up. And they've been working on it steadily ever since. And, of course, there's no poppers getting that door uh, you have to be very well established and right up there with the big boys. So the idea, again, was to go through a, a, a trading system, bind countries together who would come into, uh, which means buying off the richer ones in those countries, the more powerful ones, guaranteeing them those the power or powerful, those families, and bringing the people under slavery, a common slavery, common taxation, as they have done in Europe. Now, Karl Marx also brought up this, interestingly enough, before the Rollinship of International Affairs did. So he took over with the other side of it, the left-wing side, you see. But it was really sponsored and paid for by the big international bankers who prefer having governments to deal with to collect their money rather than have to go to individuals, lending to individuals and sending out their strongmen. It's far easier. Governments will promise to pay back the money through treaties and agreements and guarantees. So... After all that brief rundown there, you've got this happening now. The EU, the European Union, which nobody wanted except the boys who, who created it. Um, and it wasn't the guys who signed it. It was created, as I say, by the Milner Group. It was their brainchild. Um, and Karl Marx mentioned it before them. A unified Europe under one government. Marx actually said that. He also said be a unified far eastern uh, region with under one government, and a United Americas under one government. And these three governments would be provincial governments over vast areas, but under a world government. And that's what's happening today, for those who don't quite know. And it says here, in this article I've got here, from the EU Observer, now they're, they haven't stopped at what you'd normally thought of as Europe. That was never the idea. That whole landmass, wherever land meets land, is to be joined together, you see a huge continent. EU to open markets in South Korea in July 2011. And it says, uh, EU member states have clinched a compromise on the provisional application of a free trade agreement with South Korea, giving Italy an additional six months to prepare its auto industry for the opening up of the EU market. What it means is, is, is that the, Korea will be able to flood the market with their cars and everything else that they produce. It says, it's a very big step in opening markets in Asia for our companies, and this will create, they always give you the same spiel, this will create prosperity and jobs, of course, in Korea, but also in Europe. Well, I don't know how they'll do that in Europe. Belgian Foreign Minister uh, foreign Stephen Vaneker said on Thursday during a press conference in Brussels, it says European goods will enter the Korean market and vice versa. Um, the EU foreign ministers agreed that the deal should enter into force July the 1st, provided that the European Parliament gives its consent to the package, which includes a safeguard clause on protecting vulnerable European companies. The deal described by Mr. Vaneker as the first new... The, here's the key to it. This is a, this is one of their little phrases, you see. Because they told you the European Union was just going to be Europe, right? The first new generation style agreement, now that they've got uh, all the different treaties behind them and signed and agreed and all the rest of it, like Maastricht Treaty and so on... Uh, this is the, the next level up. They don't stop. Remember, it's world government is the idea. The first new generation style agreement and the most ambitious uh, EU trade agreement ever. needs to be signed during an EU-South Korean summit in Brussels on 6th of October. The Belgian diplomat added that the Korean side would have preferred an earlier date for entry into the force and described a July 2011 outcome as a result of intense negotiations between member states. You're, you're not countries now, you're states, you see. And eventually, your regions, Italy had in recent days threatened to veto the deal if it struck its original uh, terms or stuck to its original terms of entry into force at the beginning of the year under the agreement. here you go, both sides will have to eliminate ninety eight point seven percent of duties in the industrial and agricultural within the next five years. So guess what happens, folks This what happened with all the other European countries. Uh, how does government make up for all those lost taxes? Well, bang, income tax, boom, through the roof, you see. And if you need purchase, you purchase taxes through the roof. Value-added tax, that was also put in there to take over from that loss, you see. Now, the music's coming in, but I'll, I'll continue on this when I come back from this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix, talking about this European Union and its expansion uh, across the whole of that whole continent and maybe even beyond. Uh, well, definitely beyond once we have the United Americas, and which is supposed to be signed this year, the last the, the fifth treaty uh, openly signed this year. But I've heard nothing about it; they keep it rather quiet. And technically, we were completely parts of merging uh, with the U.S. and Mexico and maybe even Chile and a few other ones. So uh, we'll wait and see if they come out with that. It got so much bad publicity um, because even the first open declaration of the United Americas signing agreement in Waco, Texas in 2005, um, they were rather uh, forward. In fact, the CFR came on national television as itself for the first time, not advising people, but as itself, with their logos behind them in a panel, and the ex-Vice uh, uh, Prime Minister of Canada who led it, Mr. Axworthy, uh, really put forth the idea that it was a great idea, this united America's idea, and, um, and then some of the reporters, who are also members of the CFR, uh, prattled on about how wonderful it would be and they'd have to compete with the whole of Europe, therefore they should unite, etc. all their laws, uh, all their, their governmental systems into one, etc., etc., etc. So they've been kind of quiet about this last uh, signing that they must have done already, I'd imagine, this year, they've already amalgamated the, the Secret Services and the NSA and the MI, uh, well the Canadian CSIS they call it Big CIS here, and um, and the CIA and the FBI. They, they all share the same data banks now. It's open. Um, now, getting back to this article on the EU as they go for South Korea. Uh, so this is quite amazing, isn't it? That uh, now they're into Asia and bringing members in like South Korea and same idea again starts off with the free trades and it's also going to do away with a lot of jobs in Europe because they cannot pay the kind of money that they get paid in Korea to their workers it costs more therefore you go under and that's the same scenario we've seen when they signed the deals with China we saw that all over the world so it says here, uh, outstanding issues cover a so-called regional clause demanded by the members of the European Parliament, uh, enabling special protection for European firms and regions with high un- unemployment, for example, and the Parliament's right to initiate an investigation into negative fallout from the trade deal. Of course, that's nonsense anyway. They don't give a darn. They know what the fallout's going to be. But you see, this is the, this is the great plan, the great work, and they've got to risk Russia ahead. So I'll put these links up, remember, at the end of the night at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you can, you can see them for yourself. The world's never what is presented by the general mainstream media. You have to go into the specialized papers and so it's the same as the United Nations. If you want information on the United Nations, you have to download it all in PDF form. That's where they put it. That's where they put the real stuff. Now, Here's a, an article here. It's, it's back from July 2009. It was about the National Security Agency, the NSA, uh, going to add 11,000 workers at Fort Meade. Uh, and of course, it's bringing jobs, I say, too. Jobs, jobs, jobs. They're always seeing the same thing in prosperity, eh? as, as they spend all your tax money to create a few jobs. It says National Security Agency is planning to double the size of its headquarters at Fort George G. Meade An expansion state to bring in more than 11,000 workers to the Anne Arundel uh, County military base. So it says here the plans are large enough to rival National Business Park, which is a 285-acre private development built by Corporate Office Properties Trust in Annapolis Junction. And for Fort Meade. It will generate nearly twice as many jobs as the Pentagon's much-publicized base uh, realignment and closure plan slated to bring an estimated 5,700 workers. So jobs are being created, but it's all spying on you, you see. So I'll put this article up again. It's It a, a repeat, really, but it gives you an idea of long, long-term goals of them. A 20-year plan they've got here. Man, they love these 20-year plans and 50-year plans. And by that time, of course, you won't really have no you know, USA. There'll be no Canada Um, There'll just be major uh, super cities across the world, according to their own military reports from their think tanks, which are in my archive section. Go and look at them. It gives you their their projections for the next 50 years. So by the time this is all finished, there'll be no USA as you know it. And, of course, they're already in the process of demolishing all the old factory towns and the, the suburbs and so on and cramping the folk into the cities so we can die off quickly. And be watched and, and taken care of more, more carefully. Now, some articles are, um, telling if you're interested at all in psychology, because everything runs on psychology and neuroscience is into everything today, as they call it, neuroscience. And the behaviorists are into it. Everybody's into it because it's all about controlling society. And most folk have no idea how much work goes into the creation of these games that people play, uh, to make them addictive, to alter your behavior. It's a big part of it. And to put in um, behavior alteration um, uh, implants, you might say, uh, invisible implants by rearranging your neurons in your brain. It's happened so badly. There's even people allowing their children to starve and their dogs starve to death. Now, that's I won't give the link, but that's up in today's paper, too. And women are doing that. They're getting addicted to it. It says here, the psychology of games, priming. You're primed by your games, and you don't even know it. It says, consistency, cheating, and being a jerk by Jimmy Madigan. And it says, psychology of games. Uh, How can developers of multiplayer games get their players to behave, cooperate, play their role, and not be such incredible jerks? I've got an idea. Psychology is involved, and you probably guessed this. Now, I'll go into some of the tricks they use and the experiments they use to show you how you're getting you're getting remade all the time back with more after this
0: you're listening to the republic broadcasting network because you can handle the truth
1: Hi folks, this is Cutting Through the Matrix, talking about how even the games that you play, the video games and and so on, are there to alter you in so many ways that you're completely unaware of. And this article goes on to talk about control groups and how they study them and use them. It says, in one experiment they had their participants in scrambled sentences that made heavy use of words like Florida, old, bingo, wrinkle. Ancient and the like. A control group did the same thing, but words not reminiscent of the elderly. But that wasn't the real experiment. The important part of the experiment actually happened after the participants left the lab. Another experimenter sat in the hallway outside and discreetly used a stopwatch to time how long it took participants to walk from one end of the hall to the other. Those who've been working with words related to old people actually walked significantly slower you know, like an old guy, it says, than those who had worked with other words. So, Barg, Chen, and burrows these three characters, experimenters, also did another experiment where some people unscrambled sentences with words related to rudeness, such as bold, bother, brazen, and some worked with the words indicating politeness, such as patiently, courteous, unobtrusively. All subjects then walked in on a scene where they had to interpret or interrupt a conversation to get some needed information. Those in the polite condition waited 9.3 minutes on average. Those in the rude condition jumped in just after 5.5 minutes on average. So it shows you how you're being programmed all the time. You ever know why the big boys laugh at the general public? It's because they've got the best experts with the masses of data constantly experimenting on us and knowing they can get exactly what they want from us. We will behave the way they want us to behave. It's important, though, we, will, we like what they do to us. They give us the cell phones, they give us games, they give us uh, all, all this kind of stuff, and, and then they know by what they're built into them, by their little trigger words and so on, how we will then behave and work it into the culture. That's how you create culture. You make sure you, that you are in charge of creation of culture. You can't let it come from the grassroots. Then you lose control. It's always been that way. Plato talked about it. These are examples of what psychologists call priming, which is basically getting people in a particular state of mind or getting them to think about what you want them to do. They use it in advertising too, they use it in elections and campaigns. It's a staple of advertising and surprisingly easy to do. I've been thinking for a while that game developers should take better advantage of it. What if for example certain words or phrases were thrown around on loading screens between levels or in the matchmaking lobby for a multiplayer shooter? Would simply it was simply showing words like sportsmanship or communication or fairness prime people to behave themselves during games. If you didn't want to be that transparent, you could include little stories Big nets or even comics or movies that included those words or illustrations of them. Or maybe you could use real data like the number of heels provided by players in the previous game or awards for best defense. So this is a book at site, which I won't get because it's very basic. It's predictively predictively irrational as name in the book. Behavioral economist Dan Ariely uh, suggests some even better ways of making this kind of thing work. He describes some experiments that he, Nina Mazar, and On Amir did when they, were, when they asked students at MIT. Now, MIT is a big place where they, they do most of the experimentation for uh, the American public. And it's eventually used in all of the American public to solve as many math problems as they could fix in a, in a fixed time. So it says, everyone who was entered into a lottery where the winner would receive $10 for each correctly solved problem. So there's your bait, you see, that was give you an enticement. So there was an incentive to answer lots of problems. Some subjects were given a chance to cheat at the task by self-reporting the number of problems solved. And some couldn't cheat because a research assistant graded their answers but let's back it up a bit. Some subjects in the cheating is possible condition were asked to write down the Ten Commandments before starting the math problems, and others were asked to write, uh, not asked to write anything. Relative to those who didn't have the opportunity to cheat, those who did, and those who did not write down the Ten Commandments, supposedly answered 33% more questions, a clear indication of cheating since that's the way more than could be expected by chance alone. So those who, did, who were given a moral guideline, even temporarily, um, cheated, you see. But what about those who had the chance to cheat but were asked to write things like thou shalt not lie and thou shalt not steal? They didn't cheat at all. They answered exactly as many questions on average as the people who didn't even have a chance to cheat In a following-up study, the same researchers replicated these results by omitting the Ten Commandments and having students acknowledge understanding that their actions were subject to the MIT Honor Code, which ironically was a lie. There was no such official code. It seems that the Ten Commandments or a reference to an Honor Code was enough to prime people for behaving themselves, but I think the study also tapped what's called the consistency bias. This is where we tend to behave in ways that are consistent with our stated intentions, especially if stated publicly. You understand that, that all your cultures, likes dislikes, your political correctness, whatever it happens to be at the time, all the morals are given to you. And you don't even know what's happening to you. Because this stuff is used all over the media. It's used and in all movies that you're watching and enjoying to make sure that you behave the way they want you to behave. And that could be any way they want, incredibly promiscuous and and um, cruel at times or whatever. Or they can do it the opposite way if they wanted it to and have you uh, very congenial towards each other and polite and uh, et cetera, you see. But you see, when you bring it down to the general state of society, uh, then you're very easy to control because they always scream crime is out of hand, everyone's a criminal, we've got to observe everyone and watch you all. That's what's all. That's what's part of it, too. But ongoing, incredible, repetitive, repeated over and over um, a test of the same test. It makes sure that they're correct so they can use it on the general public. All this stuff ends up in Hollywood and special Hollywood writers to embed it in their stuff. And, of course, it ends up in novelists, too. The high novelists are picked by the CIA. And I'm not kidding you about that. They actually admit that. So that's the world that you live in and you think it's all just... Floating along by itself and, uh, things evolve and ideas come and go, etc. Now here's a no-brainer here. It's an interesting article, but it says here, remember the article, remember years ago I read the articles on how they would destroy the culture, destroy the marriage. It's all part of the Communist Manifesto, which was all given to them by the Royal Institute for International Affairs, who helped to, to form it all. And, um, the CFR in the, in the US. And, Marriage had to be destroyed by creating incredible promiscuity. And then the state would take over all the problems caused by the promiscuity through health services, free injections, penicillin, all that kind of stuff, abortions. Uh, they would find ways, too, of, of government agencies that would uh, do foster care. All that kind of stuff would be handled by the state. So the state was to abolish the family and take over all the responsibilities of the family. That's what Marx also talked about, and so did Lenin. Now it says here, are teachers hooked, our, our t- teachers, well I guess they are, are teenagers hooked on porn? A London record producer I know is used to hearing teenagers talk about sex. All his working life he's been surrounded by hormonal boys in recording studios. Hearing them chat with fevered curiosity about how to get girls into bed and what to do in an unlikely event of succeeding. But now he says the studio has gone eerily quiet. Boys don't talk about sex anymore. They sit there in silence staring at hardcore pornography. On their phones, swapping images of astonishing sexual violence, as if they were uh, Pokémon cards. They're just children, he said sadly. They used to find out about sex by having it. Now they all they know all about sexual extremes I've never heard of, and think must be it must be normal. When in real life they've barely got further than a clumsy fumble. Concern about the sexualization of children has been widespread in recent months but directed at the mainstream media. A home office, as the British government's report earlier this year, called for the labelling of airbrushed ads, a 9pm watershed for Ronchi music videos, and a ban on the sale of boys' magazines to under-16s. Uh, it says, we're certainly right, experts say, to worry about sexualized images in ads and on TV. Now, it's utter rubbish, this whole article, because, you see, that was always agenda. They've been doing this for years. You know, our generation's grown up with it. But it's a bit like fretting about children eating um, artificial additives when they're already smoking crack cocaine. It says here, if your partner's over 40, his sexual development was probably inspired by the underwear pages of a K's of a catalogue. I don't know what that is. Just 10 years ago, most teenagers might have seen only soft porn magazines such as Playboy. It's amazing how they're going about soft porn, you know. They tried to legitimise it by putting in some uh, uh, interviews of famous people to, get to, to look at the porn. Yet today's children are just a click away from a world of scat babies, which are women covered in excrement, and Bukaki, which are women weakening in distress while seven, several men ejaculate over their faces, or websites offering an entire menu of rape scenes, from incest to rape virgins. That I meant what? Do you think much music's all about in music television. Look at the 14-year-old girls and how they're dressed. They're trying to dance like, like strippers. You know. That's all intentional. We, we get the culture that's projected to us. The average child sees their first porn by the age of just 11. Between 60 and 90% of under-16s have viewed hard-cone online uh, pornography, and the single largest group of Internet porn consumers is reported to be children aged 12 to 17. So then they go on and on and on about what's happened. And, you know, it's not even a woe is me thing. It's more of an interest thing. It's for them because they're studying it, of course. So then goes on, but what's what's this doing to boys and girls' sexual development? Um, uh, What can we do about it? And if the answer is nothing, what kind of intimate relationships will our children be capable of forming when they mature into adults? Well, here was the whole key of it. If you go back into Darwin's time... And the guys who took over, and that was Sir Thomas Huxley as a champion of Darwinism, and then they started the Red, one of the the schools, the Red Tie School. H.G. Wells went to it as a propagandist for them, started the Fabian Society, and through novels and and various other non-fictional works, they would um, promote the idea of sex, which was uh, decoupled from emotional ties. That was the whole object of it, which has been awfully successful today. There's no emotional bonding no emotional bonding there's no point in, in uh, staying with someone and having children you see and then governments have everyone split up there's nothing you stand up and fight for if you don't have a family people don't do it they won't stand up for anything anyway there's The impact of porn on boys according to Dr. Thaddeus Burchard um, who's a therapist is particularly profound they tend to create their sexual templates by images either in the mind or on the page he says these pictures become watermarked onto the fabric of each individual's sexually, sexual re- repertory. And then they go into all the different things that they're doing now that they think is all normal because they see it in porn films. And that they find normal sex is boring and etc, etc, etc. All the deviant sex is now pushed as normal, all comes from porn. I, mean, I don't know if you know enough the porn industry is based in Hollywood, and the guys who work in Hollywood use all the equipment and the settings and so on after the main movies to make the porn movies. It's always been that way. So it says that, um, it says, uh, they found that one in three girls aged 13 to 17 had been subjected to unwarranted sexual acts by their partner, and one in four to partner violence. It's perhaps also no coincidence that before the internet, female pubic hair was generally considered normal, banished from almost all contemporary porn. However, it's now regarded by most young men as some sort of abomination. Amazing, eh? And it's not only the sexual norms the boys that are being reset. The Potman Clinic in London, which treats sexual disorders, has noticed a dramatic increase in referrals of young girls using the internet to become amateur porn stars. <laughs> Sexual, striking sexual poses, these girls can appear deceptively precocious. In reality, said Samson, they haven't a clue what they're doing. If those girls could see the fat middle-aged men walking, uh, oh, he actually uses a different word, actually, uh, it actually means masturbating uh, over them, they would be appalled, she says, their fantasy is that they're on the red carpet or a movie star. Well, that's, I mean, brought up by the whole culture industry, isn't it? It's precisely the lack of knowledge that makes online porn so fascinating to many teenagers. A recent survey found that 54% of boys found porn really inspiring in terms of sexual performance, but it's this tendency to equate porn with some sort of sexual training manual that worries many therapists the most. So the children get all their information from these sites, but they're also helped along at school, as you know, because they wanted to have communal masturbation in schools through UNESCO, the uh, United Nations there, that's what they wanted to teach through your schools. And that will come, it's, very, it's going to be there very shortly, actually. It's only one step from talking about it uh, and repetition of it in this classroom to actually doing it. You know, that's what's coming. So anyway, it says something, so that it's discovered this porn is even more addictive than alcohol or drugs, agrees John Woods, who's a psychotherapist at the Portman Clinic. And like any addiction, the user's tolerance threshold quickly rises. It's too early for us to have solid empirical data on how exposure to online pornography will affect the adult relationships of today's teenagers. Though no, they'd have to go up to the bigger boys above them to find out who did it probably 80 years ago. This says, even if most of them won't grow up to become addicts, experts' predictions for their adult sex lives are troubling girls are in an impossible position that's their little pun of course you can tell that girls are in an impossible position says Woods they will never match up to the porn star images and sex will inevitably be a disappointment to men with these exaggerated notions of what might be possible boys will become disillusioned too because they don't all perform like sexual athletes actually I've got university books on it from years and years ago it's claiming that eventually they'll start losing interest in sex altogether because it'll be so freely widely available to all that it's you know, it's it's like put 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 some do you fancy having uh, some orange juice or a beer, it's all just just preferences for the moment. And eventually you become bored. But also they become sterilized too. Like uh Julian Huxley said would happen, he's got to sterilise them, although they they'll be allowed to rot like bunnies. And literally that's what he said. And uh They'll be sterilised, so it doesn't really matter. Well, that's what they brought in, and because there's no bonding, emotional bonding between people, uh, there's nothing, there's nobody to stand up for if they were attacked. And government can talk right to you, just like you see on George Orwell's 1984 in the movie, the black and white version with Richard Burton. Nobody stands up to, to beside you, no, no, no neighbour, no, no, no family, uh, uh, no children. You're, the, the government loves that. They can, talk right to you and order you about, and you feel terrified you're on your own. Nothing happens by chance, as I say. They wrote about that well over 100 years ago, what they were going to do. And finally, you've got the corn industry. It got a bad name. You remember, too, Aspartame, of course, Mr. Rumsfeld's uh, ch- uh, beautiful thing that he flogged and got the, got the governments to pass as a, as a sweetener and it was Killing Foot With Cancer. Then they changed its name to make it more palatable for a while until we got caught onto that too. Well, the corn industry wants to make the corn syrup sound a little sweeter. It says the corn refining industry is seeking to make one of the most common ingredients in American food sound a little more palatable to health-conscious consumers and food companies. The Corn Refiners associations filed a petition Tuesday with the Food and Drugs Administration to change the name Of high fructose corn syrup to corn sugar, the Wall Street Journal has reported. Petition is the latest step from the corn industry to erase the notion, to erase the notion, you know, um, among some consumers that high fructose corn syrup isn't as natural as sugar. Well, it's said in Bob. We hope, now listen to this, we hope to erase consumer confusion, you know. Uh, uh, What they mean is they hope to erase consumer education. Andrea Erickson, president of the Corn Refiners Association, said. Now I'll put this link up too. You read the whole thing for yourself. And the one at the very end of it, at the bottom of the page, is the fact is it causes pancreatic cancer. And they all know it. It feeds the cells. Back with more after this break. Hi folks I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. And there's a caller there uh, Jason from Florida. Are you there Jason?
0: Yeah, I'm here. I, I just want to read a short article on uh, aerial spraying yep yeah. that you know we've been you heard about in the local news. Uh, this is from the TC Palm. The Palm Beach County Division of Mosquito Control will be doing aerial spraying beginning at Sunday sundown on Thursday evening, weather permitting. The planned coverage area, approximately 268,000 acres, will target populated areas west of Military Trail from Jupiter to Boca Raton and out to the Everglades communities. The aircraft use a Huey helicopter. Aerial spraying is necessary to control mosquito population. that has increased during the recent rains, officials said, in a news release defer to help control mosquitoes, residents are asked to drain or minim- minimalize standing water on their properties. Now, I've been here in uh, Palm Beach County for a while, and they always have this uh, expert from the uh, Center of Disease Control come on saying, "Oh, you know, spraying is necessary. You know, it's mm-hmm. okay if you see these sprays up on the skies here. You know, they're spraying for mosquitoes. Yeah. So here's just you know the people being, you know." Acceptance is spraying that's going on over our head every day,
1: yeah, you've been trained to it, but do they actually tell you what chemicals they're using
0: no they don't they don't tell at all, but they always have the expert on you know the
1: the expert, yep,
0: we're all trained to listen to the expert here to mm-hmm. listen to uh you know what he says is, is gold, you know.
1: That's right, they did the same thing with California over the, uh, the claiming that so there was a, a moth here eating all the fruit trees so they were going to spray all the, the cities i mean <laughs>
0: and, and I, I mean this was this has been going on longer than a month. I've been seeing on the local news here, you know the c d c coming on talking about spraying from mosquitoes, and believe me, I get eaten by mosquitoes all the time, yeah, and there's nothing but more than more than the normal mosquitoes here, yes. Yeah, it's
1: amazing, too. That area has been a great testing ground for them. I read, I read an articles last week where they, where they uh, actually released uh, mosquitoes with dengue fever years ago. Yep,
0: the dengue fever they're hyping up, yeah.
1: That's right. And that's their excuse for using it. So they create the disease, put it out there, but then they use something else on the public and study you as you get sick. <laughs> and also
0: i like to talk about a little bit of predictive programming. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you've talked about uh, articles... Of how they're bulldozing homes in Detroit, yep. in Detroit, Michigan. And yep. I saw this movie called uh, RoboCop 3, right? And, huh? and this was back in like 1993, I think the movie came out. And yep. they're bulldozing homes in Detroit, and they're displacing all these people and killing them off. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> I mean that, that, that movie's a, you know, maybe something funny for your listeners to watch. Yes. Yeah. It's a well, they've comedy. had
1: mainstream documentaries out in Canada from the 90s with uh, that wonderful man, David Suzuki, who, uh, who likened the people to maggots, that's what he called us, and uh, he's a great spokesman for the United Nations and so on. But he, uh, he was doing a series on television of uh, the coming uh, greater cities as they bring in the populations to, and try to make it more habitable for them by putting a little bit of green here and there. Uh, but eventually, it was to eradicate the the urbanisation areas, knock them down, and as you say. But that is the agenda. That's also an agenda of the army's uh, manual for the next uh, the 50 year projection. That is the the creation of super cities, eradication of rural areas altogether.
0: You're correct. Yeah, I'd just like to say a hi to all the Alphabet Soup agencies listening in and everything. There's lots of
1: them. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yep. Yep. And uh, you know, I mean. Basically, you gotta go out in the poorer areas and, you know, basically spread knowledge to the poorer areas. That's what I think.
1: There's, there's more thought happening in the countryside, there's no doubt about it. But from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.